a lot of people have um, chances of life or things to always fall back on. I, I still, to this day, like, I don't have a home. Like, I don't have parents. I don't have grandparents. I ain't got that. Like, so everything I do, I have to make sure I'm putting myself in a position to be successful and, like, make sure that I can at least hold my own. So um, that was, like, a really big turning point. And then it was just, like, that's became my marathon. I keep saying that because, like, I started listening to Nip probably around 2011, 2010, and, like, that marathon really resided with me. And, like, that has been, like, my staple. Like, it is a marathon. I want to create something that I wish my younger self could have had when I first entered the profession, which is a platform to serve and impact the next generation of coaches. Young coaches, young professionals, young leaders, they need to see black faces and they need to um, know their story. Personal lives are generally publicized within our profession. So our platform will be very unique because our guests will all share their powerful stories to help our listeners unlock their potential greatness. Guys, this episode here, um, our guest that we're about to bring to you, um, his story, his testimony is crazy. Wendell Farrow, he's an he's an assistant women's basketball coach at Cal. Um, man, like it's gonna be hard for you to get through this without, uh, you know, feeling some type of way, getting some teary out or something. But um, he he brought some really good gems to us. So the, one of the first things that. Uh, really stood out to us was that um, he, you know, him coaching on the women's side was inspired by all the amazing women that he had in his life. Um, one being, including his mother, um, who was who taught him basically, you know, how to stay focused, how to um, have ten toes in um, with everything that you do. A really impactful story around that. Um, the another thing that we really enjoyed about this interview was especially for young coaches now you know we kind of get a little lost how who do we go for help where do we go for help how do we get that mentorship that we that we want um when Dale is excellent at um finding mentors and you know putting himself in position to be mentored up to be coached up to allow himself opportunities to learn um and then the third thing we kind of really got into was the Black Lives Matter movement um, if you follow any of their coaches on social media, you will see that their coaches are actively, um, you know, supporting the movement and, you know, trying to do things to make change. We dive really deep into kind of what they're what they're doing to help their players and um, and kind of how actions that they take and things like that. So um, you're really going to enjoy this. Uh, super excited about it. Powerful. That's 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 it. Powerful. I mean, he was. uh He's someone that I was very relatable to um, for him growing up with humble beginnings from California, uh, you know, trying to navigate um, life at an early age with his sister and his mom, um, trying to trying to give himself affirmations that he's going to be some special. Like at a very young age, he was somebody that that spoke the good things that he was going to do. Or this not be on food stamps, buying a house, you know what I mean? Like doing something with his life at an early age. That that's something obviously he spoke about. But I'm telling you, when I when I listened to him, and Nisha actually brought him to the table. It was so funny when she came to me um and said, Hey man, I heard this guy. She's like, I heard him on a on oh, a yeah. Zoom call. I didn't even and know I got, him. Yeah, I gotta don't know him, gotta have him. And I said, Let's do it. You know, and when and obviously once we finished, um, I told her, I said, big time. You know, because he's a well-educated brother, you know, from the inner streets of California. And he's showing us that now the man is at Cal Berkeley as an assistant coach. Very young, got a bright future ahead of him. Um, I'm excited for what you guys going to take from him. Like he said earlier, he dropped a lot of nuggets, dropped a lot of gems. Uh, but most importantly, I'm telling you, he he's the true definition of, of black excellence, especially at a young age. So I'm excited about you guys listening to this one and I'm, I'm excited to hear it again myself. Yes. Um, definitely. And one thing that you made me think about was what in the interview, he talked about him and his cousin was, they were riding yeah. down the street and they right. would just speak affirmation. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. So you and your cousin yeah. just speak like, affirmation. Like, they going to do years old, seven years old. Yeah. I mean, and again, like, you know, you visualize it, 
Mm-hmm. You know, visualize it and it help. You know, God starts to order your steps, but start once you start telling yourself something that you really believe in, you know, God leads you to where He wants you to go. Absolutely. Um, this episode is a perfect example of it doesn't matter how old you are. Um, it doesn't matter where you started, where you grew up to, you know, it doesn't matter about any of your background to to have the blueprint to, to be successful. Um, all it takes is one, you know, confidence and, and motivation and two, putting yourself in position to to be around people that can help you. And three, just putting in the effort, not taking no for an answer no matter what. Uh, but yeah, you're going to enjoy this. Get get your pen, get your notebook. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you um, have no notifications on. We don't want you to miss anything. All right, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Black Excellence in Sports Podcast. We are here with Coach Wendell Farrow, Cal Women's Basketball Assistant Coach. Welcome to the show. What's up, y'all? I appreciate y'all having, to, you know, having me, so I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Um, this is the Black Excellence in, Sport, in Sports Podcast, where we highlight those who we believe demonstrate Black excellence. We want to highlight their story, their voice, and their testimony to inspire others to unlock their greatness. Coach, how do you define black excellence? What comes to mind when you hear that? Now, that's a um, that's a very strong question to you know start with. Um, it's, it's very broad as well, but well, I think when you talk about black excellence, you have to um, you have to segregate the terms, right? First, you have to be black, and then that's I think that's where it's rooted in, and then you have to um, have a, some sort of excellence. So when I think of black excellence, I distinctly think of black people that portray great qualities and abilities within our community. And those qualities may vary. Some people, it may be um, how much capital they have gained or achieved. Some people, for me, I like to think about how many young Black people have I served, how have I um, contributed to or helped to help them get their excellence. Um, I think Black excellence is a term now that we're seeing more frequently. Um, It's something that um, you see on social media, you see from our you know our celebrities and our stars but we all have excellence in our way i look at young people like yourselves that are you know in school and grad school working for organizations and corporations and just keeping it going um i think excellence doesn't have to be defined by the things that you achieve but more so by the things you're trying to do coach is there anyone in your life that you can highlight that demonstrates black excellence yeah i think that it's um when I talk about black excellence and, and the people in my life that help me achieve it is more than just one person. You know, uh, I think first and foremost, I wouldn't be a black successful male if I didn't have my mother. Um, my mother passed away right before I went to grad school. So like I, from age, since I was born until I was about 22 years old, she was in my life and she taught me a lot of good things. And I think those things help contribute to the success I had educationally and athletically. My mom never went to school like, you know, college-wise, and she never played sports, but, like, those um, distinct intangibles she taught me helped me get those type of accolades and those and reach my goals. Like, she always told me to stand firm on my own 10, like, always be 10 toes down, like, never um, follow the crowd, be rooted in your faith and your belief. So I always stuck to my own grind, didn't worry about what other people were doing. She always taught me to, as a man, look people in the eye, shake their hand, ask them about their day, um, to be, like, self-serving selfless to people and i always try to make sure that i am that way to people you know i speak to them even if even if i don't know you i want to ask about you i think it's important that we as young people always try to reach the next person because then it will create the framework for them to reach somebody after them so um, i think my mom's probably the biggest component of black excellence and she comes from east oakland california section eight from day one until she passed away you know what I mean? Like I'm the type of kid she gave a $10 booklet of food stamps, go to the store, get my cigarettes, go, you know, go get my whatever, my snacks, keep the change. Um, like we didn't, we didn't come from much. We, we never had a car. We took the bus from, got our check on the first, got our next check on the 15th, got our groceries, you know? So um, we, we was always on that, on that, on that grind. And I think those type of um, examples really just resided with me. And like while I, while I was working through grad school, it just kept me going. Like, I got to do this for my mom. This is my marathon. I keep running it, keep running it until 
eventually I got into coaching and to where I'm at now. Coach, I know you've said um, once before that the women in your life um, have pushed you and motivated you to, to coach on the women's side. Yeah. Talk to our audience about how yourself as a black positive role model, as a male, uh, influenced these young ladies. You know, it's crazy. Like, um, you don't know how much influence you have until they actually tell you. And sometimes they don't. Uh, father Days obviously was like a few weeks ago. And although I'm not a father, I, I get texts from our players as a big brother, as an uncle, you know, thanking me for being a part of, you know, their journey in their lives. And one of my players was like, although you're not a father, you helped raise me. And I was just like, I was taken aback by that. And you don't understand, like, you know these young ladies probably from 14, 15 years old until how, how long that relationship lasts. So some of these young women I've known for like the last decade or so. And, you know, I've been instrumental in just their small, you know, um, I've been, excuse me, I've had a small impact on their, on their big journey. But I think that when you're raised by black women, you see all the things that go into um, their day to day, their struggle, um, their challenges, you know, or the things that, you know, make them tick or the things that propel them to be great. You know, um, my mom, you know, she was always cooking for everybody in the neighborhood. Like we never had much, but like you can come get a plate from Wendy's house. Auntie Wendy always had a soda for you. You know, Auntie Wendy always had a room. So like I've seen her give to people, which made me want to give to people, as I said before. My sister, my sister was like, my sister had like a neighborhood legend, like low key, like a big crip in my neighborhood. And like my sister had hands and she would fight anybody on the block. And like, she taught me how to fight. Like I would square up with my sister and be like, you aren't, you're not getting punked at school. And I'd be too pissed getting beat up by my sister, but like trying to really get with her. And to the point I got 14, 15 and now I'm 6'2". And now it's like, I can hold my own. You know, like that's like how much I learned. I learned everything from being a man from women. Cause we didn't have men in our lives. And like, they shaped me to be such a strong male that like, I have to give it back. And I, I think my way is giving it back to these young women in this profession. Wow. Um, powerful stuff, man. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, how have you learned to navigate yourself through your career as a black man dealing, dealing with uncomfortable situations? Um, how have you done that? And what would you say to, to others? Yeah, I think um, we all learn how to navigate by our own trial and our own error. You know, like you can only speak from sometimes your own reference point. Um, I didn't know much like going into higher education. I remember like playing basketball, not really being recruited just because I'm in a small area, but I wanted to still play with your junior college. I didn't know what I wanted to major in because I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't have people in my life that went to college. All I saw was when I watched TV and, and I'm watching the March Madness tournament, somebody be at the free throw line. They'll always say their major and their major will say communications. And I'm like, I'm majoring in communications because every dude that's at the free throw line majoring in communications, you know, at Kentucky, at Alabama, whatever, right? Like, so I'm like, oh, that's what I'm about to be. Like, that's how I saw it. So I started that visuals and I got my degree in communication. And then like, there's a point where like, that's not enough. Just going to school and getting a degree is not enough. Like how can I continue to elevate myself? And I was at a point where, you know, my mom passed away, like, right. Like about six months after I graduated college, I was like getting ready to hoop overseas, like really training with the trainer, but I was spending six months every single day, waking her up, walking her to the bathroom, putting her in her bed, tucking her bed, feeding her, trying to get my workouts in. And then like, that dream just kind of shattered. So then I kind of had a point where like, I had to figure out how, not only how I'm gonna navigate life from a Wendell perspective, but like how I'm gonna like, navigate life without my mom who helped navigate me. So now like I'm taking my own and trying to really figure it out. So I went to grad school and got my degree. And then like, I still didn't, I worked on the staff, but I probably didn't have the most representation on how to be a black male in the profession and be successful. You know, so um, I had to just learn by kind of just watching others from afar, speaking to others, and then really just kind of having some allies that, that brought me along early in my career. Um, like I started at UCLA and I worked for Coach Corey and to this day, like that lady's like my coach and mom. Like I can call her about anything in my life and she's always gonna make room for me to, to, to sit at that table to make sure I'm good. And once you learn that like people are invested in you, then you start working a little bit harder because you know people got your back and you want to make sure that you serve them well and you, you continue on your journey. But um, I think that like when you start to navigate excellence, it takes some people to help you. Like we can't do this by ourselves. And that's why it's so important as us, as young people um, that are seeking to really 
be a staple on black excellence that we pull people with us. It's like the train, like we all got a cart that we got to continue to pull on and on. So um, I wouldn't say I navigated it alone, but I do know that the people help, that people that taught me how to navigate my journey taught me also to make sure that I help somebody navigate theirs. Dale, when did you know you wanted more to achieve more than, than your beginning circumstances? Obviously, yeah. you talked about your mom, you know, being in Section 8, you know, and it's the same kind of same way for me. But when did you know for yourself that, hey, man, I want more and I'm going to do more? You know, it's crazy. Like, me and my cousins talked about this. It came out at an early age. Like, my initial... Um, like memory it was like six, seven years old in our neighborhood. Me and my cousin used to have roller skates and she's a teacher and she teaches English in Dubai. She's an English teacher in Dubai and she teaches to, to Arabic kids. And we used to like ride down on our block and we used to say affirmations before we even knew what that word was. Like we would affirm ourselves like, yo, like let's, let's buy a house one day. Like, hey, let's go to college. Like, hey, let's have a job. Like, hey, let's not have food stamps no more. You know, just like little stuff that we thought like we just wanted to just kind of like not have, like really like fueled us early on. And then like throughout like my, my younger academic career, right? I'm in my neighborhood. I'm really trying to like just buckle down, be a good student, stay out the way. But things are going on around you. And you, as you see people getting locked up, as you see people literally dying from your neighborhoods or people not doing well on substance abuse, you like, bro, I don't want that, man. Like, I don't want that. And then like, you got to kind of go through your fire. Like I went to a decent high school has some affluent kids and you see how they live in. They pulling up and dropped off at school. Man, I had to take the bus. You know what I mean? Like school dance, they had money. I had to hustle my ticket to go to school dance. Like I couldn't even afford a haircut. Like my girlfriend used to have to give me like the $5 she got from lunch on Friday. Like, let me get five. Cause I need the other five to get this hair, you know? Like, so it, through experience, I understood like, man, I, I have to grow up this. Like I have to break the cycle of the norm that I'm used to. And then once I got to college, I like, I really just buckled down because you're so close. Like I'm almost about to have this degree. That means I'm gonna make a job and I'm gonna have you know money and all these type of things. And then you graduate and you're like, bro, where is that? Like I graduated and I worked at a bowling alley. I'm 22 years old, taking care of my mom, and I'm I'm a, I'm a laser tag host for like young kids. And I'm making pizzas and I'm serving them cake and I'm running laser tag games. And I got a college degree and I play college basketball. Like yo, what life is this? And then then like my next thing was like the biggest thing in my life was my, when my mom passed away. It was like all right, I'm like, I got to do this. And I say this because like a lot of people have um, chances of life or things to always fall back on. I, I still, to this day, like I don't have a home. Like I don't have parents, I don't have grandparents. I ain't got that. Like, so everything I do, I have to make sure I'm putting myself in a position to be successful and like make sure that I can at least hold my own. So um, that was like a really big turning point. And then it was just like, that's became my marathon. I keep saying that because like, I started listening to Nip probably around 2011, 2010. And like that marathon really resided with me. And like that has been like my staple. Like it is a marathon. Like we're all at points in our life where we're, we're comfortable and we're doing well, but there's so much more we have to achieve. Coach, I heard you speak about mentors and how they kind of help, you know, shape you and put you in position to succeed. How did you go about um, gaining those mentors? Yeah, you know, uh, one thing I find from a lot of, professionals and not just young professionals they expect sometimes the mentors to mentor you like I work here like why aren't you teaching me this like one thing about me like I'm, I'm in your office I'm asking questions and you know like I talked about coach Corey but her whole staff was a mentor to me like uh coach Shannon is probably one of the best women I know and like she speaks so well like she just warms your heart and she's just teaching me about myself teaching me about the young women in our program teaching me just about life and I'm just spending time in her office every single day coach Jenny Coach Jenny, my road dog, XOs, like she's the first person to be like, all right, you think you, you think you know this? Draw me a play, draw me a slide, draw me a, you know, baseline out of bounds under four seconds. Oh, you ain't got it? Go, go find it. And like, she really kind of like taught me how to be a coach. Coach Tony, he was the male on the staff, just taught, like taught me ways to interact and approach young females, you know? So I was like learning how to model a male from him, but not necessarily a black male because he's not black. And then like, you know, Coach Mel gave me my first job at Vanderbilt. And so the first thing she said to me, she's like, she looked at this piece of paper. She was like, this is the smallest resume I've ever seen. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, it's only one page. I've been here 15 years and nobody's ever given me a one page resume. Like, why am I hiring you? I'm like, why are you calling me? Obviously we have, there's a mutual interest somewhere, right? And she's like, okay. She's like, I want a, I want a young apple. I want to like pick an apple off a tree and be able to mold that apple. I'm like, well, I'm that apple, you know, and I'm, I'm ready. And I, you know, I hopped on and learned from her. And I got here with Lindsay, 
because Lindsay, like, she's just a G in all the things she do, like, she does, like, she models leadership, and she just hip to stuff, so, like, I'm peeping game from her, like, how did you get a conversation with Woj, like, how did you meet Adam Silver, like, now she in the league, like, how did you get that, like, I'm asking questions to see, like, how you navigate bigger business, and then I have a real boss, a bomb boss now, Charmin, who's just, like, frontline with everything, especially having a black female as a head coach is a lot different, because not only are we in these conversations, she asking us about solutions to help, you know, further these conversations and like really bring it to our players in our institution. And like, we're not just a staff that just posts about black lives or talks about, you know, ways to impact our communities. Like we are living and breathing it and we're challenged to do it every day. Bill, how were you able to find your way on the women's side? Not only are you a minority being a black man, but now you're a male in a profession which deemed more women. Yep. How did you find your way? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really qu uh, good question. Um, I would say that like, as I've started working in this profession, I've always had the mindset that it is women's basketball. And I'm just here to serve women in basketball. Do I know women? A little bit. Do I know basketball? Yeah. So I, if you put those two together, like I know something to contribute. Um, I think it's important that uh, young males on this side understand that it's a privilege to work in this in, on this side and not a right right is women's basketball like I don't expect to always uh, have the opportunities of certain women at the same level that I'm at because they are the women in the basketball so I never I never take advantage of of this side because I understand like who it's suited and should be tailored for and I just want my do my best to help it if I could help a young kid if I could help a coaching staff that's how I, you know, um, found my way because I presented myself as somebody who just wants to serve you. And in return, they started serving me and offering me an opportunity to have jobs or to work at these institutions. Coach, you talked about um, how your staff is really in the conversation about what's happening currently. And, you know, I, I follow Coach AP and she's always posting. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that is it, good to see, you know. Um, you know, it gives me kind of confirmation. Like, okay, well, I can post this. I'm not going to lose my job because I see, you know, you guys kind of posting and stuff like that. Um, what are you guys kind of telling your players or what's kind of your perspective when it comes to what's happening in society right now and all the racism conversations going on? Yeah, one thing we tell our players first and foremost, that we are always going to actively support you in your rights and your beliefs, because it's bigger than, not bigger than, um, let me take that word back, but there are so many other things that we don't consider that goes on with our players from day to day as well. And we want to know that we, we support you the same way, whether it be like gay rights as we do black rights, if that means that much to you. Because, you know, a lot of these players on our team, like, have a lot of different things going on, but they still need the same support that we feel charged up about, about our issues right now. Um, distinctly to, like, the area and focus of, um, you know, injustices and racism and all the things that are going on, we have opened a platform for our players to take the lead. And not only have they done that, they've done this at the admin level. They are, have, have been talking to our administrators. We have a conversation with our ADs. We have other campus groups. Like we are creating living documents that are gonna breathe and make our institution a better school. Like not only do we wanna lead the charge just by you know, things on social media, but we actively wanna lead the charge on campus. So now we're coming up with groups, a way to donate to other organizations. We live in Oregon, um, excuse me, we live in Oakland where like we are, a staple black city you know we are the home of the black panthers you know there's so many um influential black people have come through oakland and spent their time here that like naturally it kind of helps us fuel our fight like we don't get the kind of tension or hold back from some other schools because they know where we're located and what that means to us so um i love the fact that my boss has opened up this forum for our players to express themselves the way they want to and not only express themselves, give them tools to kind of, you know, um, help them find solutions with their challenges. Coach, what advice would you give a young coach who's in a position where they want to voice their thoughts and opinion on what's going on in the world? And obviously on social media, because that's the platform that everyone is using, but they're afraid because they could possibly lose their job or you know, other people are gonna probably take offense because they may not see it in the way that they see it. What advice would you give that young individual that's probably struggling with trying to stand up for what they feel is right, but also not get caught into the the the, the rat race of not getting fired? Yeah, no, um, 
it's a challenge, man. I think we all, you know, as much as we all want to express ourselves, we all have some um, restraints. We all have some um, things that we always have to consider, you know, as much as like vocals we are, I still do have a boss. You know, I still have to understand that like, I have to honor this institution in those ways. Um, for a young professional who's kind of at that crossroads, I will ask them like, you, you may want to have these conversations with your boss because a lot of times people, they think about it and they internalize it, but they never express it. And they don't ever get it out and actually tell their boss, wow, I feel this way they feel. And sometimes like that reflection to a boss may be like, oh, wow, I, I got your back. I, I didn't know that bothered you so much. You know, so I think the first thing is you want to talk to your boss because you want to align your values as closely to, um, as much to their values as you can. So you got, cause there's going to be some similar paths or then you guys can agree on something. It might not be explicitly what you want to say, but there's going to be something where you'd be like, okay, we can work with that. So spend that time really, you know, um, talking to, you know, your boss or your admin or whoever it may be, but you kind of mentioned it. Like you said, like, how do you feel about uh, a young person who's trying to express what is right? Well, whatever, what is right is right. And sometimes you have to hold firm in that belief and it may cost you some things. And we're at a point right now in our society that, we're on the front line and it is going to cost us something. And, you know, the last few weeks has cost us some targets and some neighborhoods that got, you know, ravaged with riots or whatever, but we're at a point where it's going to cost us something and you have to just be willing to um, accept that. Like it may cost me, you know, something that I may value, but these are my beliefs and this is what I stand firm in. I love what you said, coach, when you said, you know, even though I am speaking up, I do have a boss. I want to encourage our listeners that, you know, before you, you speak up publicly about, um, you know, anything, make sure you are aligned with, with the people that you work with make sure there is some, some type of understanding there. Um, and that, you know, I, I wouldn't want anybody to feel like they can't speak up at the same time. You, you represent something bigger than yourself. So I just want to make sure I plug that for anybody who's listening. And like, it's not necessary. And like for one, one thing I learned is, in our community, like, there's so many ways we can make an impact. And you, and you necessarily um, not posting on Twitter or Instagram doesn't mean you can't make an impact. So maybe you, don't, you have an institution where it's like, oh, I don't feel comfortable. Then go volunteer in your, in your neighborhood. Like, donate to a cause on campus. You know, spend some time educating your players. I mean, there's so many ways we can make an impact. And sometimes it's not a tweet, but it's the things that you can do maybe outside of that that could be just as impactful. Thank you for that, Coach. Um, can you um, talk about a moment or a time in your career where you felt like, wow, like I'm really here, like a successful moment, kind of a high moment in your career? You know, it's crazy. Um, I was actually, probably this week, like I have, I, I really spend time trying to have gratitude moments, right? I'm into like, I'll be riding my bike now in my neighborhood, just trying to get some fresh air, you know, because COVID got you in the house. So, but I don't necessarily say like there's been a moment where I'm like I'm here because I'm not, but the moment that I felt like I'm here is there are the days that like I can go to the gas station, I can fill up my trunk and I don't blink. I can go buy groceries and I know my, my, my fridge can be full and I'm not tripping my rent paid. I'm good. Like those are the, I made it moments because there's so many times where I grew up where that was not the case. Like, Oh, let me get five for gas money. Like who, who let me ride to the store? Like, all right, we're going to eat spaghetti for the next five days. Cause that's all we got. Like, my I'm um, here moments are just the most basic and like necessity type of things because I didn't always have that. So the fact that like I can go grab a steak and not flinch, I'm eating good. Like that's, that's my I made it here moment. Like I can get a, you know, a haircut and not worry about the next 20 for next week. That's my I made it here moment. Like um, I don't, I don't take anything for granted. I really don't. Like I always, even when we still get free gear, you know, from our, our equipment manager, I still say thank you because you just never know when these Under Armour socks are going to go away, you know, or these, these shirts. Like, I'm thankful for all those type of things. In my career, the, I, I don't know, like the I made it. When was the first time I got hired, I think, you know, like I went from being in grad school, I started applying for jobs in November. And I went 0 for 28, no lie. I couldn't get hired nowhere. And there's a point where I got called. So, November, I ended up getting a call like in April from UCLA and I probably at uh, UCLA like two months before that. And they emailed me like, are you still interested? And I'm like, man, yeah. So next day I bought me, you know, it's, it's like literally two days before graduation. 
I had no cheese and all of a sudden my tax return just hit out of nowhere. I got $1,000 back. So I bought me a shirt and tie for the interview. You know what I'm saying? I took the interview the night before graduation. Um, and it was like, okay, we'll call you back next week. And then like, I, I, I had a phone conversation again. And then I was like, we'll call you back the week after. I'm like, man, like, you gotta do all this, bro. Like, all right. And then Coach Corey called me and um, she's like, I'm gonna call you on Tuesday. I'm like, all right, bet. She don't call me on Tuesday. I'm like, oh, I'm, cause I'm done for it. So she called me Wednesday. She's like, sorry, I had some meetings, but I want to get back to you. And she was like, um, so you applied to be our, you know, our front, um, our front like office person, like admin. That's the job I applied for. Like to do like all the, you know, office stuff and whatever. And she was like, I, I can't hire you for that position. I'm like, oh, okay. I appreciate it. But she's like, I can hire you to be my video coordinator though. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, it'd be better for you anyway. Like, I can have you, you know, on my staff, you know, I can, I can teach you hoop, all this. I said, eh, I'm there. So she hired me. I run around my apartment. I'm screaming. I'm turned up. So this is like probably like this Wednesday. And like, I'm like, I have to get to back to Cali. So I called the barbershop. Literally called my barber. I said, tell everybody in the shop, I'm selling everything out of my crib. Y'all can come through. I'm selling my couch, 50 bucks, TV, 100. Oh, you want a microwave? 20, just take it. So a whole shop came over. And I just sold out my whole house. I had like an Impala, I sold that for like 800 bucks. I had like, probably made like 1800 out of, off of everything by my flight, my flight home. And just went home, I had like a thousand on me and that was it. So started my journey, but like, that was like, that was like, I, I made it type of moment. I got a job, like, you know, like I am signing papers to work at an institution. So, yeah. Oh, for 28. Oh, for 28, bro. Man, yeah. that, that's, that's perseverance right there, man. And yeah. not only that, that's, that's God saying, I got you. Yeah. You know, so coach, I mean, I want you to speak on that. Cause it, obviously that's a lot of jobs that you apply for. Talk about the jobs that you apply for just a few of them, but yeah. then see how God came oh, yeah. in, the, you know, just came in and gave you the video coordinator spot. Talk, talk yeah. about that. I did, you know, like, like I told, so I'm used to like grindy jobs, right? Because I, like I told you, I was working laser tag after I got my first degree. So I'm like, I'll do whatever. I'm, I'm trying to get like parking recs jobs, like flag football coordinator, but you need a certain amount of experience in flag football. I'm like, bro, I played flag football in third grade. Like what experience do I need, dog? Just let me run it. I'm trying to do, you know, after school programming, but you need, you know, like experience and programming. Like that's just a word, bro. Like I'm just taking charts and giving out kickballs. I could do that, fam. You know what I'm saying? But like, I'm just trying to get back to California at this point. Like I've been in Michigan six years. It's cold. I'm tired of the snow hire me back home. And I'm just, you know, I'm trying coaching jobs. I'm trying front desk jobs, like whatever. And like the fact that I got the video coordinator job and I worked in video as a graduate assistant was perfect. Like I wasn't even expected to even like get this position. And it was the best out of all of them. And the, and the like the position that literally changed my life. So like, I, I super like, when I talk about having my gratitude moments, like those are times I still reflect on, man. I, I kept that email in my phone. I got a screenshot of it from UCLA because that's the beginning for me. You know, and like well, those things go into my prayers, those things go into my affirmations because like there, there's so much time where like I've never had it or been without. Like that was just like the sum of like, you're okay, you do have it, you are fine, you know? And I didn't have to question myself anymore of like, could I get a job? Can I be successful? Can I make it? Can I pay rent? Because when I first graduated, I went back home, lived with my mom for about six months because I had none. So the second time, there's no go back home to live with your mom. It's I have to find a job. And I got blessed enough to not only find a job, but to find a career that has, you know, that has got me to where I'm at now. No, that's awesome. That's awesome, Coach. And, and I want to piggyback off what you were talking about. You went from graduate assistant to video coordinator. And then we got a long list of other yep. job titles that you had. Community yep. service liaison, yep. scout team advisor, camp director, interim recruiting coach. Like, talk to our listeners about how, how all of those jobs helped you now where you're at being an assistant at Cal. Yeah. Um when you like when you when you when you like think about being a coach, understand that like that's not the only hat you're gonna wear. And certain institutions gonna make you wear a lot more hats than than others. And every job that you have is applicable to the job you have now. Even laser tag, as much as I hated laser tag, I've learned a lot of patience in laser tag. You know, like I had to I literally had birthday parties of 20 12 year old girls and that's my first interaction right and i have to save my save my little spiel every time and make sure they put their little little buckle on but like i learned how to work in 
a kind of arena of young people and like doing laser tag with 20 young girls is the same thing as doing kitty camp. And when I'm running kitty camp, I'm like, oh, I've been here before. I've been around 12 year olds. I know like the patients. So that even transferred. But those jobs that I've, I've had from the start, they all go into who I want to be as a person. So like when I'm um, watching, you know, doing all my video, like that's something I still pride myself on today. I love video. Now I always recommend that to young coaches, like get in that video room, you learn so much. I watch YouTube every single day because people do all the work for you. All you got to do is cut it up. Or like when I did, uh, became the like the community service liaison, like that is a character I want to have. Like I want to serve the community. So not only did it help me in my job, it helped me as a person. Um, being on the road, doing the interim recruiting at that time, like I learned how to socialize among coaches. Like one thing I still like have kind of like some security issues about, or I always think about of like, cannot always be me, cannot always be Delhi. And like, I know that some people won't hire me, man. Like I wear my hat backwards. I dance and practice. I'm rapping on freestyle and drills with my, with my kids, but they love it. But that doesn't fit every institution. And when I first started, I kind of, going recruiting at UCLA, like in the interim role, I'm surveying the gyms. I'm at Nike Nationals looking at different coaches. Like, is there somebody that looks like me, that speaks like me, somebody I can learn from? And I think that's important because you want to be like, have a person that you can identify with to know like, it's okay to be me. I could do my job like that because that person's here too, you know? And um, so like all those little things kind of just help shape and mold. And then once I kind of got my first coaching job, I had a little bit, some tools in my bag I could pull out, you know, like, I'm talking to Coach Mel, and Coach Mel is a great X and O's person, like, like top of the line, X and O's, done so many things in SEC. But I'm pulling, like, video examples out now. Like, ah, nah, Coach Mel, I'm going to show you something different. And she's like, oh, you got that? Yeah, I got that. You know, but, like, all these things where I'd be like, hey, Coach Mel, like, let's really hit Nashville. Like, how, what ways can we impact the community? Like, you know, bring some different thoughts to, to different, different staff. So um, all these jobs help shape you for that position you want to grow into. Dale, as you talk, one thing that, I, that continues to come to my mind is growth mindset, right? Yep. Like, I really feel like you have a growth mindset. I feel like no matter what you're doing, no matter what job it is, you try to pull something out of that to help you grow for obviously any other, any other future endeavors. Yeah. Talk to people how important that is, especially at a young age, to be able to find that. Because sometimes we get so, especially young people, you get so closed-minded. You think we... Mm-hmm. No matter how young or old we get, we always think we already have it figured out. So speak on how that has helped you and prepared you in, in this profession. Right. Um, I, I hate to take it back, but like when I, when I was telling you when I was a kid and I was roller skating in the neighborhood, that's where the growth mindset became. That's where, like, you know, it, it shaped and formed. When you come from certain communities like I, like you, you already are in a box. So if you're going to think in that box, you're going to like stay in those same neighborhoods, those same blocks. I'll be around the same people in the same corners, going to the same corner store, making the same minimum wage, hustling. So once I broke that box, I'm like, yo, what can I grow into? Like, what do I want to be? Like I told you, I'm watching TV. I'm like, oh, bro, major communications. I'm about to be that, you know, but you can't do that unless you have that, that those, those growth thoughts. And for young professionals, I find that like, we're so fixated on the title of the job. I want to be assistant coach. I want to be a head coach. I want to be this. But like, how do you become that? You have to put the work in, but like what entails the work? And one thing about our jobs and our profession, the work is everything. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm coaching with the whistle and I'm trying to get an All-American to be a WNBA player, or I'm in kitty camp with a broom cleaning off the floor so I can have a game for the next session. Like, everything matters. And like, one thing you have to understand is that we're never too big for any um, responsibility in our job. I, I, if my boss told me right now, Dale, we're at practice tomorrow, our managers can't wash the jerseys, I will wash the jerseys for this woman because that's what I'm here for, to serve her. And once you learn that, like, you're not here in this job or profession for yourself, you're here to serve others, you'll be willing to do that. Good stuff, man. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, so... I want to talk about how um, managing up. All right, you you talked about well from from what we're from what we're listening to. It seemed like you have have a way with your bosses. Um, can you talk about you know for a listener, um, a future coach or a, a current coach, how do you manage up? How do you respect your boss? Listen to what they say and still feel like you can do you. Cause you know what I'm saying, you know, you have your own way of doing things, but at the same time, you know you're here to serve. So how can you kind of 
balance that and also working for women as well um how do you kind of respect your boss and, and get done what you need to get done um it, there's there's technical terms and there's kind of like some some funny stuff to go into so from a technical expert i always try to understand before i take a job or i'm presented with the opportunity that my goals and my values align with my boss's goals and values because if i'm here and you're here we're, we're always going to intersect and never meet where we shouldn't meet um if you want to be a head coach and you're working for you know you're assistant you want to be a head coach but you have a head coach who doesn't promote assistance then why would you go work for that person or like you know um you have, you know, you are a young coach and you want to work on a staff where you can express your views and, you know, be able to be very outspoken. You have a boss that's very reserved. It's not going to suit you well. So you have to try to align your values as much as you can. And another aspect, like from my boss specifically, Coach Corey kind of just taught me game. Like what I've learned is like, it's almost like, it's like courting a person. Like you have to really court your, like your boss. Like you got to learn how to like essentially date them. What do they like? What do they do not like? You know, like, what are like the little buttons you could push just to get them in a better mood today? You know, like what can I bring to them to like really trigger their basketball minds? Like you have to really learn the person. And once you learn the person, you'll learn the coach. So I spent a lot of time, like really just hanging around my boss just to see how they are. Because once you learn like their, uh, you know, their, their sense of everything, personality, humor, uh, the way they think and kind of, you know, organize their day that helps you kind of really um, navigate them. And it's, it's not always easy. It takes a lot, a lot of time, but like, it's kind of like a, a skill I try to pride myself on. Like, I'm like, I'm about to reach my boss, man. Like, you know, like, I ain't gonna lie. When I went to Vanderbilt, people's like, you know, Coach Mel Tough, like she's done this for 13, 14 years. Like, like all right, babe, we'll see how tough she is until I get in the office, right? Me and this woman had a grand old time. We laughing, like everything, like we had a tremendous time. And I just think that, like, that just kind of came from me just kind of really working her, man, and she all wore it down, and she started to love me, man. So uh, it's it, it takes time, and there's no specific answer, but I will say, like, first and foremost, try to align your values and your goals with your bosses so you guys are on the same page. And the second, you got to have a little game. Like, you got to, you know, you got to figure them out, spend some time with them. Dear, how were you able to align your goals and values at an early age of your career? Because now, obviously, you've established yourself a little bit yeah. more, so you can probably do that a little differently now. But how did that work for you at the early stages of your career? You know, um, that's a really, really great question, and my answer probably isn't going to make a lot of sense. But um, I, when I first got in the profession, I didn't have necessarily goals or values. I don't, like I need like I wasn't even in a position to have goals or values. They're hiring a kid from grad school they don't know. Like I just needed a job. Right. So therefore, like my goal was to have a job and like, how can I be good in my job? I'm coming to a UCLA staff that has all had super success at various places. And like, how can I be that teammate or that team member who's holding their own, you know, that holding the slack? Like, that's what that's what we are. Like as a staff or a collective team and not all of us can get a bucket, but some of us can set a screen. Some of us can rebound. And that's how I view myself on, on a staff. Like I'm willing to be a Draymond. I'll pass it. I'll cut screen i'll get it to steph i'll get it to clay whatever like i don't have to shine and like that was my goal like how can i impact this team and just keep it together and just help them all be better and then as i kind of grown throughout the profession you kind of learn like what things that you really really value like i have to work for a boss that um understands that like we're in a business to serve and prepare women for the next 40 to 50 years in their career like a lot of what we do is not about basketball. Like we've all been in practices. Our practices are two, three hours at most, right? And they're in the weight room. Like we see our girls in a basketball form for only probably 10% of their day. Other times they're students. Other times they're young women who have boyfriend problems, girlfriend problems, parental problems, you know, having normal mental health challenges. Like there's so many ways we have to seek to serve them that like I need a boss that understands that like I want to work for you because we're here to equip these young women. Like that's the, that's the first and foremost thing I want from a boss. And then secondly, professionally, like I want to have a boss that gives me responsibilities on the floor. It, it's, it's hard to be assistant coach, you know, as you get older where you don't get a clipboard, where you don't get asked to what place you'll be run, or you don't get asked, you know, certain things, um, you know, that are, are very detailed or scout oriented. And like, I've always had bosses who have given me chances. I can come to Coach Corey as a video coordinator and say, Coach Corey, like, I think we should add this option in chin. I think it'd be very, very beneficial for Monique. But all right, I like that. Coach Mel, like, 
gave me the whole offense. And Coach Mel is the most offensive-minded person running. Dale, you got it. You know, Lindsey be like, what do you have that I haven't learned? Like, was willing to ask me questions and stuff. So um, responsibility is a, a really big thing. And I, I had that a lot at Cal, and even more so now with Charmin. Like, um, special situations, I'm there. Offensive stuff, I got that. You know, insight to recruiting, like, uh, my voice is there. So I'm super thankful. But you don't get that until you kind of learn yourself a little bit over time. I like how you said, I don't have to shine. And you said that early in your career. You said, I can be a Draymond early in my career. And I think that's something that as young coaches, we struggle with yep. because we don't want to be a role player. We want to be the superstar. You talking about you want to be Draymond. When you're young and probably in all of the instances that you've had, you've probably been one of the youngest guys, if not the youngest person on the staff. So one way for that individual to separate themselves is to show those people that like, I'm really good at what I do. Like, let me show you, I know I'm young, but let me prove to you that I'm really good at what I do. Talk about how important and also how it has helped you of coming into it with that mindset of, let me be a role player. Let me be Draymond. I don't got to try to be Steph. Eventually I may become Steph, but let me, let me be the role player right now. Yeah, no, like it goes back to like the theme of this, of this, of this talk, um, black excellence. Like, not everybody could be Jigga and Diddy. Like, I can't be a billion dollar black capitalist. Like, I don't, I'm never gonna accumulate that wealth, but I can still contribute. So how can I contribute? You know, and like a lot of times, like we go on our TVs or we go on IG and we see this super mass of wealth and people living large. You see a Meek Mill shine on a yacht with a motivational coat talking about get your bag up. Well, Meek, my bag's not gonna get me a yacht in Miami today, bro. But you know, it can get me a, a, a nice, you know, Chevy Tahoe that gave me to work. And I'm happy with that, fam. Like, I don't got stars in my roof, but my car got gas. You know, so, like, I think you learn a lot from people around us. And that's why I say, like, I think it's important for young people to help the next generation of young black people because they may be able to achieve it. Like, you know what I'm saying? One of my players may get stars in their roof when they drive and they, they Bentley or whatever. And I might not, but I'm happy that someone did. And I think that, like, if we all kind of really learn how to um, think of ourselves less, you know? I, I think that helps the people around us, man. Like in, in this job, in this life, we are not here to serve ourselves. And whether you believe in Christ, whether you believe in Buddha, whether you believe in astrology, all those things go into serving other people, not us, you know, like, and I, I really firmly believe that like, we are here to help each other and not ourselves. And when you help somebody else, you eventually help yourself. I love that. Coach, so our, we know our jobs um, take a lot out of us. Um, and, you know, you talk about serving and serving. That's that's what we do. Um, what do you do to make sure you're bringing a fire um, every day? Make sure you have that energy and enthusiasm. Um, what, what do you do to keep yourself full for you and so that you are able to, to give as much as you do? Yeah, that, you know, that's a that that's a really good question. Uh, I know I keep saying that y'all asking some bomb questions. So shout out, you know, like I, I like this. But Coach Corey was taught me that like, um, you can't give what you don't have. I'm like, I'm like, dang, that makes sense. You know, she's like, you can't drive a car if you don't eat. I'm like, man, she's like, what fuels you? And like, for me personally, I'm super simple, man. Like it sounds corny, but like, I'm just an OG. I just need to get outside a little bit, go on a little ride, get some good food, a good meal, and I'm recharged. Um, but I think that this, this job finds ways to give back to you in the ways that you don't kind of like expect it. When I talked about it one night, my player coached me on Father's Day, like that, that charged me up for a whole month. Cause I knew I made that, that impact. I have a, a young woman now, Christina Nigue, who's on the uh, Los Angeles Sparks. And like to see her joy in training camp right now, cause she's, you know, she's playing in LA, she's in the league, like that recharges me. Um, but I think it's important that like, you learn how to really organize your days. Like there's some technical things that you have to learn as a young person, a young professional, as a coach as well, to find ways to recharge yourself in. I learned that early in my career that like you do have to dedicate time. Sometimes like I might turn my phone off at 10 p.m. Like I'm not talking to no recruit at 10 p.m. anyway. I don't even feel comfortable doing that. So from 10 to 12, that's my recharge time. Sometimes it's a movie. Sometimes it's some music. Sometimes it's just me chilling at the crib, you know, or like um, I think it's important that like, you know, health, fitness and wellness go into our bodies because we are in a job that sticks to health and wellness. So are we working out? Are you getting outside, getting a walk just to get fresh air? You know, those type of things. Sometimes I get shots up by myself because it just makes me feel like I'm back in gym in high school again. You know, like 
I, I rebound for my players all the time. Let me rebound for myself, man. Just get 15 up, you know, 15 jumpers. And like, I'll, like, I'll literally shoot like 15 because I'd be like four for 15. So I'm like, all right, bro, I'm tired of this. But you, you know, you find ways to um, kind of really organize your days and it automates itself. You, you stop thinking about it less. You already know, like, it's time to go work out. It's time to go for my walk. It's time to get a meal, these type of things. Coach, I'm intrigued to hear kind of how a normal day goes for you. Um, nah, uh, you know, like, once you kind of get into this, a normal day for a lot of people isn't normal for others, right? You know, so some days I'm up at 6.30, and some days I'm up at 7.30. It depends. I'm a, that, and that's because I'm a, I'm a late sleeper. And, like, personally, like, this happened, like, when I told you I turned that corner 22 on long pass, like, I didn't, I didn't go to sleep. I didn't, like, I didn't know, like, what I was going to do. So I'm up to, like, 4 or 5 a.m. And now I kind of got it back to, like, where I go to bed around 2, 3 a.m. So I can get, like, 4 or 5 hours of sleep and be back up at it. But I'm usually up by 7. I'm doing emails. Um, you know, I'm checking socials just in case I didn't miss anything for the first hour. And then I got a really good spot in life where I, I can actually take about 45 minutes in the morning just to chill. Like, I try to put the phone down. You know what I'm saying? I usually, like, read a scripture, you know, meditate on that a little bit. And I start my day. So around 8.45, I'm, I'm getting my day. I got my shower in. I get the office. I'm in the office around 9, 9.15. Um, and then, like, I have a lot of my duties, whether it be housing, scout guys, the training room. Like, I'm trying to knock out those um, clerical stuff, meet at 10 for an hour, two hours. By noon, I'm grabbing lunch at 12.30. We're in the film room by 1. We practice until 4. At 4, I'm making recruiting calls at the crib anywhere from 5.30 to 7.00. And then watch my, my film, my video to 9, 10. And then, like I told you, put my phone down at 10. I'm kicking it to, like, 2 a.m. And then I restarted. Tell me about this. Personal development. Yep. Where does that start fitting into your schedule? How do you make time for that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it's actually really, really hard because we preach it a lot. All coaches should be learning. and should be on these Zooms and podcasts and stuff. And, like, when you're in the office during a normal year, it's hard, man. A lot of things come in, like you're working and you're about to do it and the kid just comes, sits on your couch and is like, I need to talk. And that talk lasts an hour, you know, or you're doing something, your boss is like, uh, I need another film, like, so you got to get that film. Um, but I told you before that, like, I watch a lot of YouTube and like, I started that in the video room because there's a lot of people that do a lot of good things online. And like, that kind of gives it to me in a, an efficient way. I can watch something for 15 minutes and gain a lot from that. I can gain a lead. And all you need to do is gain one drill for that week. Oh, I got a new shooting drill for my players, and they love it, you know? So, like, I'm not trying to learn all of basketball history in that week, but if I can just learn one little tidbit that will hold me over for five days, that uh, that's what I seek to do. And then, you know, next week I'll find something else online and bring it to them. But I squeeze those, those moments in, like, throughout the normal workflow because uh, it's accessible so quickly on, online. But – um, I, I can't necessarily say like I've been great at like dedicating time outside of like going to clinics or other things like in my day to day. So I probably should actually be better at that. Um, can you can you talk about how you might have overcome adversity um, in the midst of a season, in the midst of, um, you know, transitioning? What was kind of your mindset or what's kind of something that you learned about yourself since you've been um, in this career? Yeah, um, like you can't, it's hard to get over adversity if you don't have the right people around you, man. Um, I've been through, you know, quite a few things that, you know, every institution in one different way. And I've always had somebody kind of have my back. When I first moved to UCLA, um, I was supposed to like live with a donor for the first month and like kind of figure out. But like I told you, I had 800 bucks left over from, from my, my big barbershop sale. So I slept in my car for the first couple of weeks in, in lot seven outside of UCLA. And lot seven gets super, super duper hot at night. So then like, I'll, I'll, I'll ride around and UCLA is like in the, like encompassed by Bel Air. It's like super nice. So like I'll sleep on the streets for like a couple hours, but not feeling comfortable sleeping in my car in Bel Air on a, on a side street because I'm like, what if I get pulled over? Like, it's not a good thing. So like, that was like my first taste of adversity. But then like, I got my first check, got an apartment and I kept it going. When I got to Vanderbilt, um, I kind of had, I had this like little health situation, like an autoimmune thing I was going through and I'm in practice and like my body starts turning purple. And, like, our team doctor was like, yo, like, come see me at the hospital, you know, after practice or whatever. And, like, Coach Mel goes with me to the hospital. Like, she's at my appointments with me. Like, because, like, if anything happens and you're my assistant, I want to be right there with you. And, like, I never asked this woman to do so, but she had my back throughout the whole year of me trying to figure out what's going on, you know, with, with myself. And, like, 
I would never, ever forget like that woman being by my side as me as a grown man coming to my doctor appointment as my boss just to make sure is he getting the best care? Is this the best doctor at Vanderbilt? I can find another one. Like she a boss like that. Like, okay, Delhi need the best one in here. And she rocked with me. Um, here at Cal, like I went through um, a situation where my cousin, and he's more so kind of like a brother than a cousin. One of the, one of the few people in my, in my life that kind of shielded me from the neighborhood, but taught me some, some good things, even though he was kind of involved in it. And um, it's similar to, to George Floyd. He, you know, two years ago, he had a little episode. He got arrested. He's in the jailhouse. There's four cops on him. Knees on the back. He's panicking. He said, I can't breathe. Can you just move my hair out of my face? Because he has long locks. They want to move his hair. They got him hogtied. Keeps saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. They're giving him commands. He stops talking. They're still giving him commands as he is, as they're talking to him as he's being responsive. He's not. They leave him in jail cell and he dies. And I, so I, I watch it and I, I saw it on video and it's like, it really, really hurt me. I get a call from the family, like, hey, you need to come up here. It's coming up to the hospital, like, boom. And I'm like, I told Lindsay, like, Lindsay, I'm out. And this is, like, middle of the day, normal, throughout the season, like, practice day. I got to go back to the neighborhood. And not once did she question me. Not once did she hold it against me. She called me, said, make sure you drive safe. When, like, when you get there, call me from the hospital. Let me, like, make sure I check on you. You need time off. Like, I got you. And, like, it's hard because I'm, like, I'm going through kind of, like, some neighborhood family drama. And you want to be professional. And you want to, you know – like do all the things you're supposed to do as a, as a, as a, a coach, but she understood like this is real life and that's more important than Cal basketball right now. And I support you and trying to like configure that. So um, shout out to all my bosses for for having my back in those instances. Dale, what do you? What does your mind go when you have bosses that that show you that they care about you and your life more than the job that's at hand, like? Like, what does that do for you? Because that, I mean, to me, that's just empowering to hear. You know what I mean? Because, again, it's, I think everybody in this profession, you know, want to work for bosses like that. But we also understand that this is a business that is dictated off success. You know, win, loses, like, or wins and losses, that those things are accounted for. And so, you know, most coaches, most bosses, their mindset is on the next game or, or the next challenge that's at hand. So what does that do for you? Um, in your early career to be able to work for, you know, two awesome bosses like that. Yeah, actually, it gives me um, kind of a chip on my shoulder and, I, like, a certain level of responsibility. Like, I am responsible to reflect each of those women at a high level. And I always say that you can never talk about my boss unless you work for him. Because everybody got somebody – they always got something to say about Matthew Mitchell. Have you worked for Matthew Mitchell? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, they always got something to say about Corey Close. Well, have you worked for Corey? Like, I always say that. Don't say nothing about my boss until you work for her. And then we can have a conversation. So, like, I'm very defensive about the people that I work for because they've done so much for me. And I want to make sure that they are honored and respected in the profession as they should be. And then secondly, like, they have my back so much that, like, I have to do well for them. Like, I'm all a part of their coaching training in some manner. And I want them to be able to say that, you know, this young kid that I had is doing well, is a coach here or a head coach one day here. And, like, they can be happy and rejoice in that they help prepare me and know that I'm going to strive my best to help prepare the next person. Wow. I'm learning that if you do good for people, they're going to do good for you. All, all the time. For sure. <laughs> Coach, as we wrap up um, in this last final question, um, you know, obviously you have a long way to go in your career. Um, you know, you, you, you're not at the top yet. You got a long way to go, but your mindset, your story, your testimony, we deem all of that, um, excellent. We deem all of that as royalty. Everything that you were, um, that you have overcame in your life and, you know, and, be, and being so young and just handling everything that you have handled and, and just, you know, just bounce back, bouncing back the way ha that you have um, is, is definitely something that we honor. Um, so, you know, we, we see that as royalty and now you have a crown. So, you know, we, I know you have a long way to go in your career, but at some point when it's all over, you got you to gotta leave that crown. The crown's going to be taken off and you got to leave it for the next generation, the next coach that kind of want to be um, where you are in life. What would you leave for them in that crown? What message would you leave for them in, in that crown when it comes off? You know, the, the message is like, it's not your crown. It's all of our crown. I'm not going to wear it. You know, we, we got to share it. Um, we, we talk about black excellence. Like we talk about, we say, we always say the term black community. So if we're being communal, that means we share. That means we give to each other. 
And I think that's the most special part about being a black person. From the dawn of time, we've always given to people to the point where we've been taken advantage of and we still give to people. I think innately that's who we are. So when somebody presents you with a, a job, they, they present you with some level of responsibility, some, some level of, uh, I don't know, achievement that you share that with your people. Like I'm always going to have a, a seat at my table for all, you know, all my dogs, all my homies, all my players, all my coaches. Like if I got it, you got it because it goes back to my mom when she didn't have it. She got it from somebody and she gave it to somebody else. And I think that no matter where we're trying to go, that we have to do it together. We all got to get on this, bu- you know, this bus and push it forward. So until we all got stars on our roof, you know, and we, we ride in our whatever, then we, we got to we gotta stay on the same team. So the message is it's, it's not your crown, it's our crown. I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Rising Coaches for partnering with us and giving us this platform um, to share these amazing stories real quick. Guys, if you are not a member of Rising Coaches and you are in the basketball profession, you want to coach, you're a seasoned coach, you're a beginner coach, it does not matter. I want to encourage you to check out Rising Coaches. Um, Join Rising Coaches and become a member of the largest coaching tree in basketball. Over 1,300 members from all levels, high school to NBA, gain access to over 1,000 hours of coaching clinics. Um, and build genuine relationships with other coaches. Rising Coaches provides the community and the resources that will help you have long-term success in the coaching industry. Please visit Rising Coaches to join, or if you got any questions, hit me up.